This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Well, it's Anzac Day, and before we get started, I wish to pay respect to the brave and selfless service men and women who have served our country with the utmost courage and dedication. On behalf of all of us here at My Millennial Money and the community, we honour your unwavering commitment to defend the freedom, values, and democracy of our nation, and we acknowledge the enormous sacrifices you have made to keep us and our borders safe and secure. The Anzac legacy of courage, resilience and mateship is deeply ingrained in the Australian identity and it inspires us to uphold the highest ideals of service and sacrifice. Today we remember the fallen heroes who made the ultimate sacrifice in the line of duty and we stand in solidarity with their families and loved ones. We salute the gallant men and women of all branches of the Australian Defence Force past and present, and express our deepest gratitude for their service and sacrifice, lest we forget. How do you maximize your income so it can be diversified, so it can be growing, so it can be invested for the future? Well, today on the podcast, we're going to talk about whether we invest in shares directly, ETFs, we do extra superannuation, do we buy an investment property, all the things that we can be doing with our money. Are we paying down the mortgage? Are we selling some shares in this market and cutting our losses and then doing something else with the money? There's a heap of questions today that we are going to talk about. And today on the podcast, I'm joined by the host of our My Millennial Investor podcast, Nick Bradley. Nick is an investor, he's a podcaster, and he loves talking about money. So we're going to have such a good time today. Now, we can't do Tuesday's show without the help of Sharesies. There are so many ETFs you can invest in these days. That's why we love the Sharesies platform. Choose from over 8,000 companies and exchange-traded funds on the AU, US, and NZ share markets. You'd know a bit about the US share market, wouldn't you, Nick? I have 22 years of volatility under my belt. Love it. You can set it up to suit your goals, reward your future self now by checking out the Sharesies platform. Get $10 added to your account when you sign up to the Sharesies platform using the exclusive promo code MMM. All investing involves risks, T's, C's, and fees apply. Nick, you ready to get into this episode today? Let's do it. All right. Radio, Nick. Relationships, couples, goals, hashtag love, all that stuff. You're a married man. 17 years. Wow. You're that old, are you? Hey, Morgan asks... When looking at getting a house as a couple and one person has a house already and the other is a terrible spender, but getting on the path, what is the best strategy? Save a deposit or leverage equity on the other house? So, while you kind of think about that, I would imagine, number one, you probably do not want to buy a house to live in using equity from another property, if you can help it. Well, it depends on if you want to keep that property. If you're talking about cashing out by selling and moving completely, Mm. fresh start, you know, you're combining two households together. Maybe you want one new place all by yourself, or do you want a rental income and then you find a new place? Like, really depends on what you're looking for in terms of committing to this new relationship. Mm. But in this question, like, there's two things here. One of the partners, is horrendous and spend all the money. We'll call that person Glenn. Yeah. And the other one is, what do we do? And I think, you know, I'm probably working out the existing property and I'm going to assume Morgan has the existing property because Morgan has asked this question. Yeah, she's asking or or he, he, I guess, yeah, we did. 
these are blind questions. We don't know yeah. who it is, but since they've identified the other person as the horrible spender, mm. it's possible that Morgan is the house owner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think we need to work out what are we doing with that property. Uh, number one, is it a good property? Can it get good rental yield? Is it maintenance free? Is it an old clapper? Can the block be developed? Is it a unit? So we need to work out in your financial life, what are you doing that property? Yeah. Um, if it is going to be just an investment property, I'm not using the equity and securing a home to live in against that property because effectively that means you're borrowing 100% of the cost to buy a home to live in. And we know that in Australia, it's different here in the States, Nick, but sure. in Australia, the mortgage repayments for the home that you live in are not tax deductible. Yikes. I know, right? How do you even... You guys must have free healthcare with all that tax. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, so, I mean, what are you doing in the relationship here? Like, if someone is a really unhinged spender... Yeah, let's talk about... Morgan, sit down, take a break. Let's look at you and this other person. Mm. I, myself, am an investor first, spender second. Mm. I'm married to a wonderful woman who won't listen to this podcast, so I guess we're okay, Yeah. who doesn't know what investing is and only knows what spending is. When she looks at a balance sheet, she only sees the liabilities. <laughs> there's, no, there's no assets on that liability P&L. So just in the first sense, buckle up, Morgan, because as someone who is already identified this other person is a heavy spender, mm. you need to lower your expectations because you can't change that person. You might be able to change where you live, but you're bringing the spending habits with you. So how have you negotiated this with Rebecca? Yeah. She still spends, and yeah. then I try to hide as much money as I can in investment accounts before it gets spent. <laughs> <laughs> hide might be a strong word. Yeah. She knows that I'm going to look for the future of our family's finances, and when I say, hey, it seems like the third Amazon package today is enough, like can we slow down? She slows down. Yeah, yeah, right. So it's all about understanding how you operate. Like, you, ha you have to compromise. You have to know who you are. You have to know who you're getting in a relationship with and then make the best of it. But the thing is, like, there's probably only a danger if the spender doesn't think there's a problem or they're not aware of their natural proclivity to spend every living cent. Sure. So, like, you would identify as a spender, right? Absolutely. Sure. And you have, you know what you're getting into and mm. you, <laughs> would you say you have a problem? I would say no. Ladies and gentlemen, he's starting to sweat. You can't see this. <laughs> I would probably say, like, when it comes to me and my spending, I've ring-fenced and put some walls up and parameters. So, like, I talk about the 1% rule. So, for example, I do not spend more than 1% of my net take-home income without sleeping on it. So, for example, in Australia, Nick, if someone earned $80,000, probably pay $20,000 in tax. So the net take home is $60,000 for that year. 1% of $60,000 is $600. So that person would not spend more than $600 without sleeping on it. So what I've kind of identified in my life is I need to make sure that if I have financial blowouts from spending, that they're not catastrophic and they're not on a whim thousands and thousands of dollars. Yeah, I love spending like the next person or the next spender. Uh, and for me, it was more about kind of like you, like my financial plan, it's give some, save some, spend some. And the save some is investing for the future. So I've automated my spending. I've automated a lot of my giving. So in practice, because I don't have any consumer debt, I'm not ever living on more than what I earn. And I'm always putting money aside for future Glenn. So I think to Morgan's question, I'm probably just, you know, being really sure that, you know, and I can't talk from being a married person or whatever, but like from what I understand, it's not being on the same page. It's just clearly knowing which page the other person's on, right? Yeah. And I guess there's, you, in your reading of this question, do you think that Morgan is looking to have two properties? Yeah, I think so, because they're saying, do we save a deposit or use the equity in the other one? Gotcha. Now, probably, and this is interesting, like we've got another friend here in the States and we won't mention their name, but this person was really bad with money until they had a goal, 
until they were dialed into a goal, right? Now, maybe can we use the house deposit as a really good goal that, you know, your partner can buy into? So there is buy-in to this new house. Yeah, because if you set a fin- – and I know that I said I hide money from my wife, but yeah. like – we, we have talks and we have a budget. We've got a spending plan. I don't know if I call it a budget, but we have a plan. And if the other person doesn't know the plan and doesn't have buy-in in the plan, your plan's going nowhere. That's right. So I think a lot of the time, like most spenders would identify that it's really easy to achieve a goal if we get buy-in because like, yeah, I'm doing it. It's easy to save money if you get a goal. It's easy to get on track if you've got a target. But a lot of spenders, when there isn't a financial goal or, you know, a common goal here in this relationship, well, money will just find its way to walk out of your wallet and out of your bank account. Yeah. So real practical, Morgan, if I am in your shoes and I'm looking for one to keep this other home, I don't know if that's because you want a vacation home, you like your location, maybe just want to start fresh with another house and another partner, like I would look at a multiplex? Do you guys have, do you use the word duplex in, uh, in the Yeah, office? kind of like a villa or something like that. Yeah, like specifically I, when I'm looking for another property, I would love to have something that gives me a return as well. So mm. if you can bring yourself to like, in California, there's RDUs. It's a residential dwelling unit that is on your piece of property. So if you have your main house and then you've got room to build an RDU off the garage. Oh, we call like, them a Julock or Julock. Yeah, and be able to lock, you know, like yeah. rent your garage out, like, since you are in the market for looking for something, rates are higher, prices are probably coming down. You might be at an advantageous spot if you've been saving money. You, know, you, you have an opportunity here. Look for something that can help mitigate your expenses right now anyway and something you'd be happy with to live in. Mm. I think whatever you do, you've got to get your partner on the same track. At least on the same side of the desk. Yes. Maybe not the same page, but the same <laughs> side of the desk. Renish asks, how to decide when to sell shares when you are investing for the long term? That seems counterintuitive. If you're investing for the long term, why would you be thinking about selling shares? Well, maybe this person is like in the mindset of, I buy single stocks and, oh, I think this bank share or supermarket has done well. When do I cash out and then find another company to invest in? Sure. And I understand that thought. Mm. I don't mean to belittle that thought. But I think as investors, especially people that are buying individual shares, you can get into this mindset of like, hey, I'm up 12%. The average S&P 500 return is 10% over the last 20 years. I've beat the return. Maybe I cash out now and find the next XYZ, whether that be Netflix or Amazon, whatever you think is going to be the next big thing. But I've actually got an episode that I'm planning probably a month away might come out in June, where it talks about 10x bangers. <laughs> and those are companies that have 10 x mm. So something where you buy a stock, like a, a traditional person might buy three stocks to start their portfolio investing. So like Commonwealth Bank of Australia, Woolworths, and... Domino's. Domino's. Or, so, well, they're not listed in Australia, right? Oh, yeah, they oh, yeah are. for sure. Yeah, yeah, they are, actually. Yeah. So Commonwealth might be, actually might be in trouble right now <laughs> with the financial... No, no, no we're rock stage. solid down there, oh, okay. mate. Everything's rock solid. Great. Everything's yeah. great. So Commonwealth, let's say you've gained 6%. What was the other one? Woolworths. Woolworths. Fine department store. I've done many shoppings in the Woolworths. It's not a department store, but it's a supermarket. Are you thinking Big W? Doesn't Woolworths sell clothing? No. I guess you would know, wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is Woolworths this... So I guess I'm, take, I'm thinking from South Africa. There was a Woolworths oh, sure. in Cape Town, right. and they were selling clothes. Now, they may also be a supermarket, but it's this probably, specific yeah. spot said Woolworths, and they had like, okay, it looked like Target. Sure, whatever. We digress. Yes. The Commonwealth Bank's doing all right. Woolworths doing okay. Well, Domino's has done great mm. over the last 10 years. So someone five years in might be like, I'm up 200% on Domino's. I should sell some of the shares of Domino's, my initial $5,000 turned into $15,000. Let's sell ten grand of that, go back down to just a $5,000 investment and reinvest it into maybe the other two that haven't done as well. And I guess some of the studies that I'll talk about say don't do that. Like mm. Some of these things that really make your portfolio and make life-changing gains are just companies that keep on going. 
And it's not a time when you necessarily need to, when should I sell? It's, is this a lifetime company? So it isn't the whole thing like with single stocks, the quality of the company is better than any share price if you're investing for the long term. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The old Warren Buffett, like you invest in a business, you don't invest in shares, you don't invest mm. in a stock, you, you are becoming an owner of that business. And that's a good mindset thing, isn't it? Like investing, you have to think, I am buying a share in this company. Yeah. I'm taking a percentage of ownership yeah. in this company. Yeah. I want this company to succeed. It's not like this blase environment where you don't care. Like you should be buying companies you want to root for. See, I don't have any single stocks myself, but I always think like, because I shop at Woolworths, like the supermarket for my groceries, I'm like, oh, I should just buy Woolworths shares, but I've got exposure in the index. So it's this, this like loop around in my head. I was like, I want to buy single stocks. No, no, you've got exposure. I want to buy single stocks. No, you've already got exposure. Sure. The other thing I would, I would say is if you have 100 shares, and we don't know how many shares mm. this person has, but at 100 shares, instead of selling a stock right away, you could look at selling a covered call on that share. Would you like me to explain? Great, I will. All right. <laughs> if you have 100 shares of a company, you are allowed to sell your option to ownership of those shares. Let's say you own 100 shares of Domino's at $10 per share. Yeah. And it's grown to $50 per share. You've made $40 per share. Well, what you can do is you can then sell an option to somebody else. Let's say I own these shares. I would sell you the option to buy these shares at a set price. Let's say it's $60 per share. You're willing to give me $10 to buy my shares at $60 per share. So if it goes from the $50 per share now up to 60, I make $10 per share. Mm-hmm. I'm happy. You buy my shares at 60 and I made that $10. That's a way of making money on a stock that you've already made a lot of money on that you're not sure if it's going to keep going. It might, but it might not. So selling a covered call if you have 100 shares gives you additional income now while holding the company. Yeah. But going back to Renisha's question, you know, if you are investing for the long term, you're never selling because when you get older, so if Renish is say 25 or 30, right? And in investing in a share portfolio, whether it's in you know their superannuation, when you get to say age 65, at that point, it's not flicking the switch and moving it all to cash. No, it Oof, might you're be- in trouble if you do. That's right. It might be, okay, well, the last five years of the working life, we're going to just build cash and have a bit of a buffer. So then when we stop working, we've got a pile of cash that we draw down and the investments pay distributions into that cash account. Like this idea of, you know, and we can talk about it uh, maybe in the next question. I don't think the older we get, the less growth assets that we should have because the money still needs to work for another 20 years. Yeah, maybe less less growth stocks, more income producing Mm. stocks, but you don't, you don't, yeah, you don't go from all stock to bonds and boom, call it a day. Now, the question like, well, a point that I want to make is so many times I see in our Facebook group, people are like, oh, I need to sell shares. Do I sell them now at a loss or should I wait? How long will they recover? Unfortunately, you shouldn't have those thoughts because you need to sell because you need the money. You shouldn't have invested to start with because that means that money's already spoken for. So if you do have financial goals within the next two or three years, that money has to stay in your bank account. Like you do not invest for, I think, less than five years. Yeah, I agree. Definitely at least five. Yeah. So look, I know circumstances change and sometimes we need to liquidate for whatever, if there's an emergency or you know, some people are like, oh, I want to sell down and put some money into my home deposit. Sure. But- you know, realistically, if you started investing today and you're buying a home in two years, we'll just keep the money in cash. Yeah. And, and thinking from that business owner mindset, has something changed today from when the time you bought those shares? Besides the stock probably going up, maybe they got a new CEO. Mm. Maybe it looks like their market is becoming obsolete. Like you don't want to hold Kodak forever. No. Because Kodak's not changing with the market. So if you're in if you own this company, these shares, and they are in a dying market, yeah, you might want to consider changing. Maybe they got a new CEO and you don't like the new CEO. Yeah, you can consider selling. But if you're only thinking, should I sell because I've made some money, 
Probably not, depending on your time frame. I'm going to mesh the next two questions together. I'll throw Gemma's question out there first. How to best diversify spare income set aside for wealth building, as in how much to invest in shares or ETFs, extra super contributions and investment property or other. And then Claire said, I'm interested in choosing between robo-advisors, i.e. Sixpark or Stockpot, versus my own choice of ETFs, like the Vanguard Diversified Growth Fund. I'm trying to decide and I can see the pros and cons of each. Sure. Diversifying extra income. First of all, congratulations. Extra income is hard to find these days. Mm. Well done. Yeah. Good problem to have. Now, what I would look first to the super, or if you're an American listener, to the 401k. You want to take advantage of long-term money as much as possible. And long-term tax-efficient growth. Sure. So if you have, if you feel like you're underfunded for retirement right now, look for retirement. We talked about earlier, Glenn now is taking care of future Glenn. Mm. You need to take care of future self. So I would look to the super first. If you're not fully funded for retirement, look there first. Yeah, I think this whole thing about super and spare money, I reckon we need to probably, you know, we've gone into like, when these questions get asked, we've gone into kind of like tactical mode, not strategy mode. So we just need to step back and be like, well, hey, do you have a desire to buy an investment property? And if that's a hard no, well, don't buy one. Like you don't have yeah. to. No, if you don't have a desire, don't. Because yeah. it can be a headache or it can be a blessing. Many times it's both. Some of my favorite clients over the years, you know, they retired at age 60 with over a million dollars between them in superannuation. You know, they'll draw 80 grand a year for the rest of their life. Like they just won't, like they own their home. And all they did was for the long term buy managed funds and superannuation, like salary sacrifice to super, investing in their own name. Now, when they saw me, we did some strategy and really had a look at the goals, like you got all this money outside of super, we need to get more money into super. So there was some strategy stuff, but I think Gemma, what you need to do, instead of looking at these tactics, you need to look at the strategy for your life. So if you don't want an investment property, forget it. Another strategy with your life. Well, do you want to buy a home to live in? Do you want to start a family? Do you want to start a business? Do you need to do some other housekeeping things with your money? So I think the more you kind of look at your life as a whole in concert with your spending plan, you know, because Gemma has spare money, well, if that's $500 left a month, sure, if we're unsure, we might not put all of it in superannuation or retirement savings. We might just carve off $100. At least we're putting some extra money, salary sacrifice, pre-tax into super, and we're investing with the balance outside of super. Right. And like all of these blanket answers that we're throwing out, like we need to assume, do you have emergency fund savings? Like if you have huge credit card debt, let's start there. Yeah. Pay off your credit cards. Then you can start talking other tactics. But assuming you have no consumer debt, you're funding your superannuation enough, and this is truly extra money. What's an ideal financial lifestyle look like? Mm. Yeah, I think like for me, and this is, I brought up those two words, strategy and tactical, like or tactics. The tactics will always work themselves out. Anyone can tell you, go to a financial advisor, a property, you know, buyer's advocate, you can go to a mortgage broker. The strategy stuff is unique to you. The tactic is vanilla. You know, you can go and buy shares tomorrow. You can go and buy property tomorrow. You can go and save and buy a new car tomorrow. But what is the strategy in your life? So nail the strategy, then get into the tactical. Most of the questions that I see, you know, in our Facebook group and, you know, if you see people writing to you for questions to ask on the My Millennial Investor podcast, a lot of it is about the tactics. Yeah. Everybody wants the right answer yeah. for the right investment right now, but everybody's situation is so and different. And everyone's strategy is different for their yeah. life. So for example, one of the strategy things in my life is to have a higher emergency fund than I quote unquote need. Because why? I feel like it. There's no other reason. Now, within that, the next kind of strategy is build wealth for the future. Yep, I need to do that. Okay, well, let's break that down now. 
I've got X amount of month. I cap out my superannuation contributions. I've got money in an investment bond and I'm interested in owning properties. So I then do property. So I like to keep my financial strategy simple, but I also like to keep the tactics simple. One of my tactics is I don't buy individual stocks because I want to get in there and gamify it or whatever. And so for me, buying individual stocks, it would lead down a gambling route for me because I'd want to trade. I'd want to time the market. I'd want to get those like spreads and optimize. But as my strategy is just build wealth for the long term, I've made my tactics very simple and clean. And that's broad-based ETFs. Shockingly, there's so much wisdom there. <laughs> I, As so, you're describing gamifying and gambling, that is so much my personality. Is yeah. like finding. I mean, I'm doing research. I'm finding good companies. It's like, I just want to be smarter than the index. Yeah. And let me tell you, I've been doing this for 15 years, looking at individual stocks while... Now, all of my retirement is just in index funds. Like, I'm not screwing around with that. With my brokerage account, I am trying to beat the index. And it is so hard. And I'm working so diligently for it. And I'm investing so much of my life to be better. Mm. Listen, people, if you don't want to waste a lot of your time thinking about your stock portfolio, your investments, buy a passive index fund. And it will be so much easier. And you will be... If you, it's proven, if you put the money in each month, let it dollar cost average for 40 years, you will be a millionaire. The thing is like, I've 100% resolved that investing for me isn't to maximize a return, right? Go with me, this is wild. Sure. Investing for me is parking money for the long term that will achieve more than a cash risk-free return long-term and beat inflation. So I resolved I'm okay with market returns. Yeah. Market like, returns are good. Do I want more money? Sure. Yeah. I'll take it. Yeah. But in my pursuit to outsmart things, I'll end up losing money. Once you figured out compound investing, it's crazy. Like Warren Buffett was a very rich man at the age of 52. I think 52 is when he hit $1 billion net worth. He's now 88, 90 maybe, mm. like $50 billion. So it takes him 50 something, 52 years to get to 1 billion. Then it took 30 years to get to like 50 billion. Compound investing, when you get enough saved, mm. it just takes off on its own. But that's like a lot of the time, the best return on you, you'll have on your share portfolio, probably until you get to 100 grand ish is the extra money that you can put in for not spending it. Yeah, yeah. So like if you want a 10% guaranteed return on your share portfolio that's 100 grand, put $10,000 in. Go and get an extra job. Go and like sell a heap of crap and just put that money in. Yeah, and the other part of this question was what, robo funds versus index? Yeah. I would say look at everything on the table. I love index funds, super low cost because Mm. the smallest amount, everything you think about a low-cost index fund is beautiful because it's low-cost. What's your favorite index fund? The majority of mine is SPY. SPY tracks the S&P 500, and then I've got another good allocation in QQQ, which tracks the NASDAQ 100. But uh, I'm beginning to put more allocations in my monthly income, my monthly distributions that I'm putting into the market, my dollar-cost averaging. beginning to put more of that into a VTI, which is a total market index fund, rather than just the S&P or just the NASDAQ. But like if you look at the numbers, so the VTI or VTS in Australia versus um, the SPY, or I use IVV. I think IVV yeah, is yeah. my favorite same, same fund. Thing. Yeah, same thing. Um, the returns aren't that much different, if no. at all. Like it's a B dig, as right. they say. The, the real big thing that I'm beginning, I guess, I don't know if cautious is the right word. Like when you look at the IVV or the SPY, the allocations of the heavy tech companies is crazy. Mm. Where VTI gets you smaller exposure to some of those big hitters like Amazon and Microsoft, but you're getting 4,000 other companies to help support everything. Mm. But in terms of the weighting and the differences, it'd be bugger all. For the most part, yeah. Yeah. The robo advice, I think it's so basically 
if you're new to this robo-advisors, it's basically you log in and you fill out a questionnaire and you say, these are my goals and a, a robot or computer will give you the actual advice to say, hey, based on your goals here, we recommend this portfolio, which has an allocation of 70% growth versus 30% bonds. And we recommend this portfolio. And usually it's the same company's portfolio. So it's usually the robo-advisors, they're a portfolio of ETFs that build an asset allocation to give you the advice. So if you don't know what to invest in, robo-advice is cool because it will actually give you the advice on what to invest in. And if you're like literally thinking about investing makes your stomach turn, you're having a difficult time grasping that, that might be a good way to start. Mm. However, that robo-investor is probably going to have some sort of wrap on top. So it might have you buy five ETFs. might even have three that we just mentioned, plus two other ones. So you're going to be paying some low-cost fee for those five ETFs within your robo-portfolio. But then you'll probably pay another... 0.25 0.25 or 0.3 for the, the computer admin fee. Yeah. to figure that out. So when you, I mean, like 0.3 doesn't sound like a lot, but when you add that up over 20 or 30 years, it could be the difference if you pick those five indexes by yourself compared to the robo after 30 years, you might have a two or $300,000 difference. But the difference is, I, look, I would say yes, your honor, but may I approach the bench? Come forth. So (laughs) I'm leading into Nick (laughs) on this table. The question is, paying that fee for the robo-advice to rebalance the portfolio and do consistent rebalances every three months, I hypothesize that it would potentially net out the same or actually a better experience than you trying to DIY your own portfolio and every three months, oh, I don't want to rebalance this because this ETF is going so well. Why would I want to sell that and put that into other assets? Well, but I just answered that. I don't think you should be rebalancing those, like especially if you have just a whole market ETF. Yes. No, but I'm saying if you want a DIY portfolio, so Claire says um, a robo-advisor versus my own choice of ETF. Well, I guess, yeah. If she chooses the Vanguard Diversified Growth Fund or High Growth Fund, Mm -hmm. it's automatic rebalanced, all G. Yeah, it's tracking the index. So as the index changes, that's right. But yeah, I guess if Claire is choosing her own model portfolio of four or five ETFs, then I would hypothesize that probably the robo advisor, even with the fee, would do better because it's automatically rebalancing and keeping you on track. I'll, I'll take that bet all day long. Really, yeah? If Claire has the no, the wherewithal to pick five good, low-cost passive index funds... And disciplined I think enough. Will, yeah, yeah, I think she will beat out that additional 0.35% really? over 2030. Even if she doesn't rebalance? For sure. Right. Because you're, you're, you're looking at buying the whole market. Now, let's be very clear. I'm talking about passive index tracking funds. Yes, not something where you're paying an advisor like two percent for some managed fund where yeah that's not they're doing all sorts of stuff. Anyway. I'm talking low like the IVV that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. I think is a point one point zero three. You know, I think like, Australia is point zero three. Yeah, so like the spy is like point zero five cents for one thousand dollars. Right. So now you're talking this robo might be point three five. Yeah. So now you're talking thirty five dollars. Yeah, but I'm I guess what I'm saying sure if they did the robo advice. And we know, but this is interesting, like because it goes down to asset allocation, and it's going to be a different portfolio yeah. because the robo advisor may have some international infrastructure, may have some gold. It may be a smoother return. It may because it's a smoother return. Oh. It keeps you in the game longer because you're Just not emotional. Just read a Warren Buffett quote that oh. says, "For the people who want a less volatile twelve percent return mm-hmm. instead of a volatile fifteen percent return, you're not an investor. Keep your money in the bank." Oh. He's talked about that at his last uh, shareholder meeting for Berkshire. Wow. You need that extra 3%. You need to have the stomach and just the thought of, mm-hmm. I put together a good plan, I'm sticking to my plan, I'm going with it. Well, that's the same when newbie investors get like those apps like uh, it's Acorns here or Raise in Australia. Yeah. It's good because it, it gets you used to volatility. Yeah, and that's how I started. Like If you're brand new, mm. 
I think the robo is a good way to get started and hopefully get you addicted to investing. Mm. But it sounds like Claire knows some stuff. Like she's talking about picking five indexes. Well, no, she gave my own choice of ETF and she's just putting brackets Vanguard Diversified Growth. Let's make it real easy. Claire, if you're listening, I've got an episode coming out in a few weeks on My Millennial Investor that talks about the three fund portfolio. I'm going to give three passive index funds for Australia, three passive index funds for America. If you did those three funds, I will put out the Nick Bradley guarantee you're going to beat the robo over the long term. <laughs> and I won't even charge 0.35 for it. And Nick operates that podcast under a, his own <laughs> liability. It's not financial it's, advice, but I've done the research and the statistics to prove over long time. Ta- my term, millennial investor does not have our general advice license because it's not published by Simon. And it's not giving advice, it's giving Ideas. It's giving examples. If you want to hear about a great idea for a simple portfolio to put together with just three funds that covers the total market, Australian equities, international, and bonds, give it a listen. Subscribe to the My Millennial Investor podcast where your life will never be the same. Boom. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Radio, we are back for the community segment of the week. And as usual, we cannot do this segment without the help of Sky Wealth. Make sure you get your life and income insurances sorted before you do any type of investing or embarking on any big financial adventures because you need to make sure that you are protected. You can head to sky.com.au forward slash MMM to book in a 15-minute complimentary discussion to see how the team can help you with your insurances. We ask you in the Facebook group, your favorite rewards program and why? Brendan Fox said cash rewards as there is so many retailers in the one program. Now, this is the part, Nick, where we read them. You read one, I read one, and we talk about it. Is cash rewards a specific thing in the Oz or is that just generally talking about like credit card rewards points? No, like, you know those things where you put the web browser on and it tells you. Oh, right, right, So it's right, like right. A, a buying power thing. Gotcha, like, yeah. Yeah, like a Chrome extension. Yeah, all that okay. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So Alyssa said, do you use this in store? And Brandon said, if your card is linked, it automatically recognizes a purchase. And so for me, I actually use ShopBack. I logged into my ShopBack account one day and they said, oh, we credited you $4 because my card was linked where I went shopping one day That's automatically. That's connected to your buy now, pay later no, program? No, <laughs> maybe, maybe a little bit. It, it sounds like Brendan might be um, Morgan's partner, the heavy spender. He's yeah. got this thing figured out. Giddy up. So James has... Oh, 7-Eleven, the fuel lock part of the app saved 11 bucks on my last tank. Yeah, do you guys have that here where you can look at the fuel prices and if it's cheap, you can lock it in for like 24 hours and you go to any 7-Eleven and uh-huh. you can redeem that price? 
In where I'm at, in the middle of America, we don't really have that many 7-Elevens. Chicago, probably be the closest 7-Eleven. Mm. There is a gas station that has an app um, that gives you rewards, points, but yeah. you can't lock it in. Man, that'd be nice. Yeah. I was actually just complaining to you yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> gas jumped 42 cents a gallon, which is like 600 liters, I think, by my math. And uh, <laughs> yeah. it would have been nice to get that price locked in yeah. from the day before. So I felt sorry for Nick, and as a charity, I uh, borrowed his car yesterday and fueled it up for him. What a sweetheart. Mm, anyway. Truly angels among us. Tom said, Qantas frequent flyer rewards paid a total of $100 for two return business tickets to LA for my honeymoon. That's Dang, awesome. Tom, good for you. Where'd you stay at in LA? Mm. Hit yeah. us up on the Facebook. Let us know. <laughs> Pia says, Woolworth's everyday extra. And if you were listening to this episode earlier, you know Woolworth is a supermarket exactly. and not a department store. Yeah. Idiot. $59. Oh, she has to pay $59 a year to get 10% off one shop per month. Is that a thing that's pretty typical or is this a new... I've never heard of paying to be in a rewards program. Okay, so... It's like Amazon Prime. So anyway, yeah. So basically, get this. I paid... Like I do all my shopping on the Woolworths app or the website now okay. and they deliver it. So it's $15 delivery or you can pay $140 for the year and have unlimited, quote unquote, free deliveries. So I don't, I've made a rule now where I don't go to Woolworths, they bring the Woolworths to me. But I will say the home delivery stuff, has anyone had any problems with the last two times I've ordered like pears and peaches and they just get trashed? I tried it one time. We've got a local grocery here and it says like, will you accept similar item or something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we're making this Asian stir fry dish and like I need two red peppers like capsicums. Yeah, and I got like two red fiery <laughs> hot peppers. And it was like, well, yeah, they were both red. And yeah. technically they're both in the pepper family, but one hurts to go to the bathroom <laughs> the next day, and one would have been good in the stir fry. So you missed the boat a little bit there. But anyway, there's a money hack savings thing doing your shopping online and they bring it, you know, the same day, basically, I mean, you can just save so much money because you can really calculate how much you're going to spend. Uh, and I've just decided now I'll zip down to like the fruit shop or whatever to get my fresh fruit and vegetables because they just get butchered when, yeah. when they bring it. Georgina said, Brumby's rewards, you can get points for dollar you spend and then use the points to buy bread because fresh bread. Fresh bread. Hey, I'm oh. going to have that tonight for dinner. Fresh bread. I get that. Mm. Man, warm, fresh bread. It's like it's worth doing anything for. I Use love. all of your rewards money to buy fresh bread. That's what and my homegirl Georgina's saying. Can we get some sourdough for dinner tonight? Sourdough? Yeah. When like Parmesan three cheese exists? I don't know what that is. But anyway, yes. Ellie May Mullen. I've always used ShopBack. Easy to use. Usable on a wide range of sites. I shop on. I've made back between three to $600 per year just from shopping. And Gus Troop. His favorite reward program is getting paid for going to work. There you go. That is what you've said this week on the community segment of the week. And hey, if you're a business or a company or whatever and you want to sponsor this segment, I'll give Phil and the team at Skywealth the boot. And uh, hey, we can get some other brands talking about this stuff. So thanks to skywealth.com.au forward slash MMM for supporting the community segment of the week. Could I be talking about your business? Maybe. Let us know. All right. Next question. Can I throw a question in? Yeah. It's similar to the community rewards we were just talking about. Yeah. So I shop at Costco. Love Costco. I know you've got Costco in your vicinities because I've done an episode on how much I love Costco. So Costco, I pay $120 a year to be an executive member, which gives you 2% cash back on everything you spend in Costco. I did the math by just my coffee purchases alone will pay that $120 per year. So the amount of money I save buying coffee at Costco Mm. would pay for the membership. Wow. I know you don't love credit cards. No. Let me get this out. Yeah. They also have an executive credit card. I bet they do. With Visa. Oh, yeah. That gives you an additional 2% at Costco, and 3% at the gas pump. What say you, Glenn James? Am I a terrible human? What's the catch? (laughs) 
Well, the catch, I think, is maybe you'll spend more if you're using the credit card. I remember we went to Costco and I tried to pay for the groceries but I only had the MasterCard debit and they wouldn't accept it at Costco. They should have done the debit. I think maybe that was an international thing. But yeah, you're right. right. It is. They are Visa only. Mm. And they will change whenever a different credit card company gives them a better. They were with Amex forever. And yeah. then they just went to Visa the last few years. And then I threw the receipt out. Oh, and you couldn't get out the door. Yeah. <laughs> and they wouldn't let us out. They had to go and reprint it to oh, check man. it. Things you learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you do you, Nick. Uh, Sam, anxiety around checking your bank account slash paying bills, even though you have more than enough money sitting there. So are you one of those people that check your accounts every day, Nick? I check my investment portfolio on a good week 10 times a day. Really? I, have, I do have a problem. Like I need to lay on a couch. We need to talk about this. That's not typical. That's not my retirement account. Again, the, the peace of mind with the passive index investing with the yeah. total market funds, great idea. I've got a bunch of options out right now on my brokerage account, and they take a little bit more looky-loo every once in a while. Why do I look that many times a day? I don't know. But that's more of a, a hobby slash interest as it's well. It's a hobby that is probably taking too much of my... It's, it's almost like when you start an Instagram, right? Yeah. Like, so Instagram, it's cute. You're seeing your nephews and your nieces, and all of a sudden you're watching like reels for two hours. Mm. That's kind of what it's like to do. look at my investment account. Right. My bank account, I probably look once a month. Like I have enough in my savings that if I goof up and overdraft my checking, it will roll over from my emergency fund and the savings into the checking. I know I get paid every fortnight, so I don't worry about that. So I really don't look at my bank account very much. So I would probably say to Sam, it might mean that you don't have an automated spending plan. And then what I'd probably say is, can you somehow do something? And I was listening to the Huberman Lab podcast the other day, and they were talking about like doing this like dopamine reset, similar to mm, what I did yeah. with Instagram. Can you do transfer your weekly spend amount over to your weekly spend account and delete the app off your phone, the bank account? The app. Bank app, yeah. So you're not like opening it all the time. That's all I would say. Um, you've got the money. What's causing you to be anxious about checking it? And sure. I would probably say it is more of that reward habit trigger type loop. It might be a dopamine hit. I mean, that's yeah, probably like also, I'm looking at my investing like, oh, I'm up one more percent. You know, it's like, who cares? Yeah. So it can be one, the dopamine or Sam grew up poor and like that financial security of like, okay, I do have the money. Things haven't gone wrong. Like, mm. you know, yeah, I, I, I would say the, you know, me being just some bogan with a microphone. Yeah. See if you can out game it, delete the app, make sure your spending plan is solid, automate as much as possible. Like I don't really pay any manual bills. They automatically get debited out of my account. So that's kind of like the Glenn Street Smart Guide to getting rid of financial anxiety. But of course, if you think it is disrupting your daily living, speak to your GP and maybe go on to get a referral and have a chat with someone. Yeah, because it really could just be stress. I know when I'm like mm. very stressed at work, I've got a deadline. I have this dream where I forgot to take one college course, yeah. and I'm one credit shy, and it's on graduation day, and I'm going up to my diploma, and they're like, oops, sorry, you got to go back for one more semester. There might be something going on with Sam's bank account that's getting that sort of A lot of um, my podcast listeners would know, speaking of dreams, that I had this recurring thing where I would wake up in the middle of the night stressed out because I've gone to bed and haven't fed the dog. In your dream, you wake up, or you no, did wake I up physically. Real life? I physically wake up stressed that I didn't feed the dog. That you don't have, and I don't have a dog. Wow! So I was get I I had to game myself before I went to sleep every night. I said out loud, "I don't own a dog." <laughs> <laughs> and then this is wild. That's awesome. I was then waking up thinking I've left the back door unlocked. Wow! Yeah. So subconsciously. Something in my life is yeah. unattended. This just went from finance to Joe Rogan. Like, yeah. <laughs> what, are you eating the right type of mushrooms with your salad? <laughs> That's right. Am I on athletic greens? <laughs> Am I microdosing or? Uh, hey, they're not a sponsor. Don't mention that. Oh, yeah, I shouldn't. Yeah. Um, That's interesting. Sam, I'm, I'm with Glenn. Delete it off the app for a little bit. 
give it a test, try to reset your habits. And what, yeah, and if it is an issue, Sam, you know, if you need $300 for the week for lunch, going out, a bit of fuel, a bit of groceries, withdraw $300 cash, delete the app off your phone so then you won't be embarrassed with, you know, declining cards and um, that's – I hate when I get declined yeah. at the counter and the only, money guy, you uh, know, yeah. gets declined. It's like, oh, gosh, that's a bad sign. My only caveat would be unless your money is at Credit Suisse or Deutsche. <laughs> maybe, or Silicon maybe, Valley. Or Silicon Valley. <laughs> move it quick and then you won't have to stress. Yeah. So, look, I don't know. It's a real thing and I think a lot of this stuff is can be just those habits. Like you pick up your phone, check Instagram, re-scroll down, refresh – this is habit. It's not adding yeah. any value to my life. No one sent me a message. I don't need to keep opening it. Right. Like and our that's parents why. had to call the bank. Yeah. Hey, what's my balance? Yeah. I might have goofed up writing on my checkbook <laughs> and I'm not sure what I've got. And to, like the things that we don't realize that are adding extra little stresses to our life, like a money app that should be helping us, right? That can actually bring anxiety because. Our parents didn't think about this kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I say to a lot of people, like, don't have your superannuation account app on your phone. You don't have to check your super every day. No. Delete your investing app. You know, the only, I'll show you here on mine, um, my daily spending account, it's got the widget there, so I don't have to open it. Oh, yeah. Um, that's got $15 <laughs> on pizza? <laughs> oh, that was coffee. That was coffee today. Yeah. When did we buy that? Oh, the Roosevelt Cafe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so like it's got a little bit more money than I'd usually have in there because I'm traveling. But the whole thing is I want to make sure when I go out, I can click tap and there's money. Yeah. And that is based on having an automated spending plan to make my life easy. Steph asks, what should you do when your dream job isn't getting you financially where you want to be? So talk about your career. Like, so you're in the non-for-profit sector. Yep. Um, could be a dream job, you know, working non It's somebody's dream job. All that stuff. <laughs> um, and it's, you know, non-for-profit sector is notorious for not having profit. <laughs> yes, that is true. Uh, so, I don't know, like, what would you say to Steph? Yeah, I mean, I obviously I resonate with this question well. It's, I am in a dream job mm. helping people benefit their lives, get make the world a better place, like, it is fulfilling when you see people's lives change. Like, mm. I will say that for sure. But changing people's lives doesn't pay the bills. It doesn't change your bank account that well. Mm. You know, so that is a little bit why I'm obsessed with investing because mm. I know that there are opportunities and ways that even on a, let's say, meager salary that you can invest and you can change your trajectory of your life. Like, I know by investing a few hundred dollars a month into passively indexed funds that I know that I will be set for retirement and things will go well. I have built different forms of passive income to help offset my active income. And a lot of that just takes sacrifice. Like you really got to think what type of life do I want? How much money do I need to achieve my goals? And then even in the midst of like a dream job that doesn't pay so well, you can still, you know, hashtag ball out if you, if you mm -hmm. make the right decisions and you sacrifice early enough in your career. Mm. So I wasn't listening because I was thinking about something. Yeah, that, that sounds right. Uh, so what should she do? I would ask, does it say anything about additional income sources? No, she just said, what do you do when your dream job isn't getting you financially where you want to be? Well, I think it's, and this is the whole thing, like I, what's a hobby? I love boating, right? Okay. I couldn't earn the same amount of money boating as I am podcasting. Doubtful, very So doubtful. it's the difference between doing what you're good at and what you like. Have you tried treasure hunting? No. <laughs> I heard there is some shipwrecks with gold off the coast of Australia. Oh, keep talking. You take your boat out there, some scuba crew. Get in there. Not me, I can't go more than 10 feet before my ears give me trouble. But I mean, that's the whole thing. It's like, does Steph go, okay, I've got this specific financial goal I need to either get a side hustle for a period of time sure. to smash that goal. That seems like the the advice of the day. Yeah. Everyone wants to go get that side hustle. Or maybe you need to upskill within the industry. Or she said dream job. Mm. The real question, is it a dream employer? Or dream can career. You, can you do your same dream job or dream career at somewhere else mm. doing the same thing that's going to make you more money? 
Because at least stateside, the people that I know that are in many industries, even like they, it doesn't pay to be loyal. Mm. Like, and I, I'm stepping on Shelly's toes. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this isn't uh, my millennial career, but like switching jobs from the friends that I've seen every two or three years, they have gotten a 10 to 20% raise every time, even though they're within the same industry, Indus- they're yeah. kind of doing the same thing. Just by switching companies, they're in the quote unquote dream job. They just keep getting paid more. When well, they that's leave. you know that's what I kind of have been harping on about lately. Your job isn't your career; it is within your career. So yeah, like is there another same dream job but with ten percent more pay down the road? And you may have already had those opportunities. Like she's thinking, uh, but I don't know. But like sometimes the comfort of what we get used to is really holding back our bank account growing. And like, that's not a great feeling necessarily, but. And speaking of making more money, everyone, what I'm going to do now, we're going to answer one more question, maybe two, because we've got a heap today. I'm going to play the post-roll ads now, and then we'll come back and finish out the episode. So we'll be back right after this. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Okay, we're back. Now, what I'm doing, I'm just experimenting in making more money. (laughs) Yeah, it's a free world. Yeah. If you listen to the end of the podcast, at the very end of the podcast, when the credit's finished, there's in the background of the podcast, there's called like a post-roll marker and that plays post-roll ads. So, this episode today is brought to you by so-and-so. When I said we'll have another ad break, we can actually move that post-roll marker and put it in a time code so we get more impressions of that ad marker. So just experimenting to make more money because I'm a filthy capitalist pig. <laughs> uh, Katie said, buying home outright with an inheritance, good or bad idea? Um, I mean, if you get an inheritance and you can buy a house outright and you want to buy a house outright, buy the house, am I missing something? A lot of money people go, no, Glenn, you're an idiot. You don't do that. You got to get a mortgage and leverage up. I wouldn't say so in your, like in Australia's case, because you guys have what, five-year rolling notes, right? Like you don't have a fixed rate, like a 30-year mortgage like we could here. No, no, it's a floating rate. Yeah, like mortgage, yeah. That, I would at least put a lot of it down. Mm. Like I'm a little upset. Like I've, I've said on my podcast that, I've paid my house off a couple of years ago, and rates were like two point four. So you could have locked in your no, mortgage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. I, you could have locked it in yes. for a thirty year term for two and a half percent. Two and a half percent, and that what's your house worth? Three million dollars. That three million dollars. There's a three, but it's no, there's <laughs> yeah. no millions involved. But you could have put three hundred grand as an example yeah. into the market getting the spread, blah, blah, blah. Right. So I paid it off in 2020. Mm. Had I put it in there, I probably would be down 50%. So, <laughs> so it works out. See, there you go, guys. But I mean, just, I don't know, like, but yeah, I it's think always I'm, good to own a home. Sure. Without um, a mortgage. Only the most foolish people on financial Twitter are going to be like, you shouldn't have paid your house off. How dare you? Like, well, guess what? Yeah. One less stress in my life. And... Later on, if you did want to do some investing and you regret, quote unquote, paying the house off, you can always borrow against it and invest. And at least the debt is tax deductible. That variable rate is really the big decision. Like my sister just asked me the other day, like, I have enough money, brother, that I can pay my house off. What should I do? So we looked into it and I was like, well, what's your locked in rate? And it was like 4% on the nose. Right now, you can get an 18-month CD. That is a certificate of deposit, if you don't know. Or a term deposit in term Australia. Term deposit, 5.25% for 18 months. So she can make 1.25 on guaranteed money for the next 18 months. Pity inflation, 7%. Listen, <laughs> old Jay Powell's working on it. These bank collapses aren't helping. No. So 
I mean, but that's just a simple example. Like, yeah, inflation adjusted, not that great, but mm-hmm. she's got the tax write-offs that so probably breaks off the... Like, yeah, I mean, her tax math. write-off here, sure, it might gross up to 2%. Sure. But, but uh, like just that small example is like because she has the locked in rate for 30 years, it gives her more flexibility without that locked in rate. I would definitely lean more towards buying the house out. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with paying your house off. Like everyone gets their knickers in a knot. I don't know. I don't know why. Let's finish up. You're into this type of stuff. Liam asks about passive income streams, affiliate marketing, or monetizing content on social media platforms. So your podcast, My Millennial Investor, yep. you talk about you know millionaires apparently have seven income streams. Yep, typical millionaire does. But they're not all passive. No, yeah, the seven income streams, not passive. Because how many times do you see on Twitter or in the Facebook group, hey, what's everyone's passive income? And everyone's like, I walk dogs on the side. Okay, that's not passive. Yeah. I flip houses or Airbnb, eh, maybe half passive. But not even that. I mean, yeah. that's I've done some Airbnb. It's work. That's right. But like the true passive, is there a better passive income than dividends from shares? I was just about to say the only thing that I actually think is truly passive the royal, is dividend income. Well, the royalties from my book sort you of money out and get invested. Now it's passive. Now it's passive. You worked hard on that book. I did. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, I know it's hard to believe, but Glenn worked hard. <laughs> One time he wasn't even laying down while typing the pages. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting up. Anyway, yeah. So passive income. There are few true things that are really passive. Because even so the affiliate marketing, when they say passive income, you gotta be doing you gotta something. Build the website. You gotta be You like, need an audience. Okay, so get this, everyone. I'm gonna show you this, Nick. I'm gonna open my business banking account. Okay. You know, just ignore the millions. Just okay. don't mention that. I will try. I'm going to show you, everyone, the monthly affiliate commission that I got from our website when we have books listed on there, right? Like other authors? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, like, you can Google Glenn James uh, book recommendations. And if you open that website, you'll see a heap of books that I recommend. If you click them, it will send you over to Amazon or Booktopia. And we've got a you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people yeah. listen to this audience, click right? On that link and yeah. This is how much I got last month in affiliate. Wait, is there is there a dot in there? It is. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's not much. Like sixty dollars. Sixty dollars and sixty cents. I think actually I think that's just from Booktopia. But like either way, we've got one yeah, of the Amazon's a million. Yeah. But like we're yeah, that's right. Amazon, we should know. Don't go, <laughs> don't wreck my story. No, no, but like all I'm saying is with this affiliate marketing, we've got probably top 50 podcasts in Australia, big audience. Our Instagram's got almost 60,000 people. Sure, we've got a website. It's not our main thing. But you're not retiring no. on affiliate income. And you have to you have to do the work to get the and affiliate the, link. That's right. And the $60 for that month, that's gross. It needs to be tax paid. Yeah, I really think... The best thing that you can do, or, or monetizing content online, Lee asks, you've still got to do the work. So, did he use the word passive, or are we are we saying passive? No, no. Okay. At the very bottom. Newer passive income streams. Yeah. So, realistically, I would hypothesize if you're not entrepreneurial minded. So, when I started this podcast, it was a side hustle, and I, I had the view: oh, if it's going to give us life. I will go full ham at it. So after a year, I'm like, I'm all in. But like, it's a big job. And if you're not entrepreneurial minded, I don't know, because it gets to the point where Glenn James, I'm not a podcaster, I'm an online business owner. Like that's what we're doing. So it's that mindset thing. Jay-Z said, I'm not a businessman, I'm a business man. Yeah. Does that, does that translate? Do you get oh, it? Oh, yeah. Okay. I get it. Oh, yeah. We'll have to cut that. Yeah. No, we'll leave it. But look, the best thing, if you're not entrepreneurial-minded, if you don't have this idea, can you turn up your career and get extra income and invest that? Yeah. The best passive income is the active income that you can leverage and make Yeah, and not spend. You. Yeah. So, I mean, 
that, but that's not cool to do Instagram stories Slow. and clickbait. And I've done that. it. I did an episode on dividend investing and how like people make fun of you. Like, well, you spent a thousand dollars to get five dollars dividend this year so, mm. or this week. It's like, well, yeah, but I'm going to still dollar cost average in, and you know, no one's going to be laughing in ten years when you're getting thousands of dollars a month. No one's going to be laughing in retirement when you have built a yielding portfolio of seven percent. Like. I was speaking to someone the other day. Guess how much they receive in dividends each year? How old are they? Uh, 40. Net worth, give, give or take? It's high. Okay. Um, $55,000. Wow. Mm, nice portfolio, hey? Wow. Warm. And they're still working full time. <laughs> the old man Warren Buffett with his boring Coca-Cola and Apple and train stocks gets like five billion a month billion with a b what a loser (laughs) i want to be like you warren all right we'll leave it there nick bradley is the host of the my millennial investor podcast i'm in america randomly came up here doing some podcasting seeing people living that good life thanks for hanging out today nick thanks for having me bye We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities, and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money forward slash charities for more info. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.